Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. Good. We have a couple stories that we want to talk to. It's kind of a, a shorter news week uh, this time around, but uh, we've got some Sturgeon Bay news that I want to go through with you. And then we're uh, after the break, we're going to talk to Celeste Benchwell about an article that she wrote on uh, Gibraltar School and some of the attendance issues that are going on there. So that'll kind of round up the episode for us this week. But why don't we start down in Sturgeon Bay? We've got some sad news uh, right off the top. Uh, there was an accident involving Sturgeon Bay tugboat captain Donald Sarter. Yeah, um, we got this news on Monday. Donald Sarter is a longtime tugboat captain for Rowan Salvage in Sturgeon Bay. Kind of the famous tugs you see along the shore help get the, the big ships in and out of the harbor there sometimes ice breaking, sometimes helping with different dredging projects and um, not just in the Sturgeon Bay area, but in kind of all along around Lake Michigan and Lake Superior when there's special projects. He was working up on a project near Duluth for Rowan Salvage. And if you've ever watched some videos of the waters of Lake Superior in a storm, it's, you know, as as foreboding as Lake Michigan can be, some of those uh, images from like the Duluth Harbor and stuff are, are really frightening. Right. They had a wind and wave advisory on Monday and they, he was out working with two other gentlemen and kind of a wave came, a, a large wave came up behind, kind of lifted the boat. And then another one came from the side and drenched the boat and I guess flooded the engine and just kind of shut it down. And then it capsized. Two of the people on the boat were able to swim to shore Donald Sarter was not able to. Donald Sarter is 68. Reports were that all three were wearing life vests but did not have them zipped. Don't know if that would have made a difference or not in this case. Um, But when they pulled him from the water, they were unable to revive him. And, you know, one of the sad things about this, other than the the obvious sadness of of someone losing their life, but just kind of like the timing. Just two months ago, he and his wife had bought Selvik Marine Towing as kind of his retirement plan. But also his plan was to eventually pass that on to his son, who's in the military and is about four years from retiring. And, you know, he just makes this late life decision to do this. And then his life taken away from him really abruptly. Right. Um, I talked to his daughter a little bit about it, obviously very sad, but she said that he loved working on the water and he loved taking on the challenges of, you know, the, when you work on the water like that and you work on some of those projects, your job is different all the time and the conditions are always changing. And he loved that variety. So, and I know he was very involved. He, he really took pride in being part of the maritime heritage of Sturgeon Bay. So. Right. And, uh, it, you know, it's always an assumed risk in work like this as well. I know that as, as we've talked to people involved in the maritime industry and especially family members of, say, you know, commercial fishery and stuff like that, uh, there's always that, that understanding that it's dangerous work to be out on the water, especially if you're going to be braving any sort of weather. And it's, it's, that's always, you know, there in the back of your mind. Yeah. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. It, it's one of those things where people talk about getting a boat and 
everybody would love to have a boat. I think if if you if you like the water, you'd love to have your own boat. And for me, I'm I've never been a, in a boating family. I like friends with boats, <laughs> and part of that is like, oh man, I'd, I'd have to learn this, become an expert in this whole other thing. Like knowing the weather and knowing the the ways of the lakes and stuff is just like a a whole other depth of knowledge that I don't have. And then when you look at people who who have such great knowledge about it, like Sarter or like the Weeborg family. And they've had their own tragedy on the lakes before um, Mark Weborg. Uh, this was just a fishing accident, but he lost an arm. And they've had family tragedies as well. It happens to everyone. You spend enough time on the water and tragedy might, you know, you're just increasing your odds. And right. so no matter how knowledgeable you are, you always, you always got to be wary of the lakes. So next up, uh, still in Sturgeon Bay, uh, we got some uh, more plans about the West Side School, uh, including some potential designs for, yeah. uh, for what might be proposed there. Yeah, uh, kind of exciting news. I, I, there are some people who are not excited about it, but if you are one who wants to see affordable housing actually happen in Sturgeon Bay, Andy Dumpke has come forward with a plan. Uh, they had a public hearing on Monday night as part of the planned unit development process. At planned unit development, I actually talked to Marty Olenichik to try and kind of clear up some of this jargon. Um, and we have a little bit on this in this week's issue of The Pulse. But planned unit development is basically a way for the city to kind of set up some specific guidelines for a specific project and property. So it doesn't, you know, you might have kind of a certain set of zoning rules for a whole area of the city. The planned unit development process allows you to go, all right, but in this specific project to get this thing that we want, here are some of the, we're, we're willing to bend on our setbacks or maybe um, our height restrictions in exchange for X, Y, and Z. Um, in Sister Bay, they might do that like, okay, you can go to four stories, but you have to have retail on the first floor. Right. In Sturgeon Bay, what they're doing here is you can exceed some of these setbacks and things and we're going to make some special accommodations for this because we really want affordable housing. That's our trade-off is like to get somebody to do this. And what ha- what this guy has proposed is a 40-unit development at the old West School site that would rehabilitate the old school and save that historic structure as like the centerpiece of this property and then add another 30 units to the, I guess you'd say the south of it. All of them would be legitimate affordable housing, not not just saying attainable, which is a way for people to say like, yeah, it's, it kind of sounds like affordable, but really we're charging a thousand bucks a month. Right. These are units that would go for anywhere from like about $350 a month for like a one bedroom to $750 for a three bedroom apartment. Nothing exists even at that $700 level for anything in the county really right now, unless you're renting kind of a rundown old house. So these are legitimate affordable apartments and they would all be, anybody renting them would be required to have a job and have a background check and a credit check. So there are fears whenever you say affordable. Some people say low income. Some people say uh, slums. Yeah. You know, or they take poverty it. housing is yes. something that I hear all the time. I, I just want to back up real quick to, to what you said there about the background checks and everything. So this would be actually like, it's not just the price point that uh, you could call it affordable. It actually is a it's locked in. It's locked in as a specific type of thing and you have to qualify Correct. for it. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So it's it, t- because for this developer is to build this, to make this happen, it's for the historic rehabilita- rehabilitation and preservation. And he's, he's done this in other places in the state. And then you get tax credits for creating units at an affordable level. His original plan had some units at a market rate. So maybe like 10. So you'd have kind of a mixed income development, which I like as well. Eventually, 
he said it, it just worked better to do it all as affordable. And everyone knows that the city needs more affordable housing and quality, not just not just all right, this one's cheap, but it's a an army barracks in the corner, you know? Right. So that's kind of the the general outline of it. The the drawbacks from neighbors' perspective is, you know, if you're a neighbor of that property, especially if you bought in the last twenty years, but even if you've lived there a long time, it used to be a school. In the last twenty years it's been empty. There's a softball field that's used for Wednesday night softball and some T ball and some, you know, people toss a frisbee, some walk their dog around in there. Not a lot else. But it's a really cool ball field. It's kind of dug into the hillside. It's in a cool location. If I were a, an old school softball player, had played on that for 20 years, I'd be really bummed about this prospect. It happened to us at the Broomball Rink in Sister Bay years ago when, um, so most of the ball field was built with volunteer efforts. The original Broomball Rink in Sister Bay was built by all volunteers. The warming house was built by volunteers. The boards were put up by volunteers every year. And then the village came in and said, we need a new location for the fire station and it's got to go there and you're going to lose your rink. And everyone was really ticked off about that. The village said, all right, we're going to, we're going to make good on this. So we're going to build a new rink with a new baseball field, a whole new sports complex. So in Sister Bay, they ended up spending about a million dollars building dog park, new county league ball field, a pavilion, a warming house, ice rink, all this stuff, soccer fields. So they have a much better sports and recreational complex today than they did back then. So there's there's issues with it, but they made good on it. And, you know, from my standpoint, I'm like, all right, the fire station has to go there. Like, that's more important than my broomball needs. I was just about to ask you that because, like, I, in terms of the, the, the discussion around this, as much as I've been keeping up with it, uh, anybody who's talking about, like, you know, this is prime real estate, it shouldn't go to you know, poverty housing, quote unquote, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't give those arguments the time of day because they're just, it, it's a mindset thing. But I have been seeing a lot of people bring up the softball field and how important it is and how it was built by volunteers and all this kind of stuff. So to hear your perspective on it as somebody who has like local athletics in his blood, like it's, it's really important to you. Uh, to hear your opinion on it and to have that perspective of a very similar thing that happened, to hear you say that, you know, the fire department was more important than the yeah, Greenball I mean, facility, do you, would you think the same thing about, about this? I know that you don't have as much skin in the game in this one, but... You're right. I don't have the skin in the game. I don't have those emotional ties to this property. I have very rarely ever seen anybody on it, but I've always thought, it's cool, too bad nobody uses it. That's kind of my look at it. I think it's a no-brainer that affordable housing is so important and the fact that nothing has been proposed for that property that's legitimate in 20 years. And then the fact that nobody's really proposed anything affordable anywhere in the city and anywhere in Door County on that scale weighs recreational needs. Now, what I would do if I was a softball people, I'd be like, all right, we're getting a cool, we're getting a damn cool field out of this. Yeah, so, put pressure on... On the city and the city, that. not just a flat ball field. I would, I'd be looking at like, let's do some cool things with berms. Let's do some, you know. And I used to live in East Humble Park in Chicago, and in Humble Park, a beautiful little park designed by Jens Jensen, no less. There is a replica Wrigley Field for the little league kids. It was awesome to go there and see these little kids with these cool dugouts and the ivy and everything that looked like a Wrigley Field backstop. Put that kind of effort in. Do it right. Make it, make it good. Proud of it and. And really work with people. Don't um, bring them into the game. Now, having seen the meeting and things and, and talked to some of these folks, I don't think that would assuage them. But the city should do that anyway because it's the right thing to do. Right. The other flip side of this is if you don't have the affordable housing and start getting young people and young families in here, that softball field and those recreational opportunities aren't going to matter. The right. population of Sturgeon Bay is declining now and has been for some time. 
the school population is declining. You need to start doing some things to get young people a way to get a foot in the door in a way that's not just, okay, you're poor, you're young, you belong over there. It's more like, here, you're poor, you're young, we want you to get a leg up. We want you to enjoy our city. We want you to stay, not just what, what Eric Pfeiffer from Marine Travelist said. Like, we have a lot of people who come up here. They work for three, four months, like to be in Door County, but they can't find a decent place. Right. If we invest in young families, they will reinvest in our community by raising their kids here yeah. and sending them to our schools and that type of stuff. And if, if you're, I, I think it is a legitimate concern to be like, hey, I love this ballpark. I want it to be around for my kids. I want it to be around for the next generation. This is part of that next generation. And if you can have both, if you can provide uh, a place for that next generation to raise their kids and then also get a, a better or work towards a better like athletic complex even or just, you know, a better spot for this field, then everybody can enjoy it. And the next generation will get a chance to. Yeah. And I, so I think like I, I totally under, like I said, I understand the, the pull for the softball field. I understand that desire to to keep what you have. And you always got to look at it like, all right, there's my wants and desires. I got to weigh them in the larger community good. My, my personal opinion would be that the, the housing is a larger community good, but not to say that I know what's best, but that's just my take. There's other issues here that people have raised objections to. One is, all right, that's going to congest the area. I would say that doesn't hold a lot of weight. Bay Loss was built a couple of years ago. That's 40 units. It's roughly the same height. And nobody is... Uh, Bay Loss coming in at 40 units hasn't created this big congestion problem. Um, building would be 40 units. I don't think you're going to see, like it takes a really large residential um, development to actually cause a congestion issue. So I don't think that really carries weight. And then some people have said, this doesn't fit in the character of the area. It doesn't doesn't look right. It doesn't, it's not historic enough. And they can do some things in the aesthetic design review board to make it maybe maybe fit in a little bit more. But you're also talking about a neighborhood where a couple buildings down, it's it's a used car lot, followed by another used car lot. And the entrance to Sturgeon Bay is Lambert's Lumberyard. No no offense to Lambert's, but it's a lumberyard on, on your grand entrance, a Walgreens, a Target. Um, you've got a lot of big box stores and things. It's not to say that you don't want to be really picky about the things that get built, but it's kind of funny that the same people who are saying this doesn't fit in are saying you should build this kind of thing over by Walmart. <laughs> or yeah. or name B- big box big box x i'm like how are you fine with all these and then not somebody building a somewhat modern building that actually serves your community. Well, and I would hedge a bet, too, that the people who are saying that this, you know, doesn't fit in the location also don't have a backup idea or anything that they're promoting either. So it's like, is the alternative just to leave it as a derelict school building? Because that's not doing anything for the appearance of that spot anyway. Well, and, and some of these folks would say, get somebody who just wants to rehab the building. The reality is that Every developer, in talking to the different officials in the city and the Economic Development Corporation, everybody they've talked to has said the building itself, the footprint of the school, is just not big enough to build 8 to 10 units in there and get the return on what it would take to rehab that building. Basically, by building the, the other units, you're, you're getting a scale large enough to justify all the work that would have to go into rehab this really old building. Because it's, honestly, it's much easier to tear it down and start anew. Well, I'm sure we will continue to talk about this as it develops, uh, but let's move on just a couple more quick things before we get into our break. Uh, it is, uh, we are slowly approaching highway reconstruction season. There's a couple of things that are going on right now before the, the major plans start to 
to head underway. Uh, I know that Ephraim put up signs that they're resurfacing. Yeah, so they're doing highway resurfacing on weekdays only. They're not doing it on weekends, but anybody coming up here during the week, you might see some um, soft closures. So that means flagging operations on Highway 42 between Ephraim and Sister Bay. That'll be ongoing throughout the fall. Um, nothing closed down on weekends um, and nothing closed down completely. It'll just be flagging operations. So maybe a little slowdown here and there. And then up in Ellison Bluff County Park, which is uh, the place up uh, just as you're getting into Ellison Bay, if you take a left right before you hit the big hill, you go out to Ellison Bluff County Park. It's tucked back in the woods, but it's got this incredible view, one of the best views in the county. Um, but it's a long gravel road to get to that park. A lot of that has washed out. So with all the rainfall and it's all potholed up, the park is still open. You can still hike into it, but you cannot drive back there right now while the county waits to get some work done to fix that road and make it drivable. All right. Why don't we take a break? And then when we come back, we're going to talk with Celeste Benchwell about uh, an article that she wrote recently about some of the attendance challenges that are facing uh, Gibraltar schools. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back with Celeste Benchwell, reporter and social media editor for The Pulse. How are you doing, Celeste? Pretty good. How are you? Good. So uh, tell me about this article you wrote about Gibraltar. Back in the summer, um, there were some concerns raised about some kids from Gibraltar who didn't graduate on time. Um, So we started to do some digging, and we found that that was mostly because of truancy issues at the school. So it was mostly chronic truancy, um, which means you miss... More than 10 days of school, you get an allotted 10 days to miss, according to state law. Um, so past that, you can you can have absences. They just need to be, like, approved for documented doctor's visits, hospitalizations. Um, and then there's also extracurricular activities that are excused by the school. So when you say uh, a few students, how many students uh, were there? Was it enough to like, was it like three or was it like, hey, this is kind of a maybe an issue? Uh, Well, I'll chime in here. What we did, we talked to several different school board officials, several different teachers and several different people in Gibraltar administration. And the gist of it was at one point, there were as many as nine students that were not on track to graduate. And as as Celeste just said, Most of them, it was due to the fact that they had missed so many days that not that they weren't going to graduate because of truancy, but they just couldn't complete the work. If you're missing 30, 40, in some cases, I think the most extreme outlier was about 60 days of school. You, you, there's just no way you can complete the assignments and pass the tests to, to walk on time. And when you're talking about a school with about 40 graduates, you're, you're getting up in that 15 to 20 percent, 25 percent 
range of graduates not on track to graduate. In the end, they got that down to about, I think, five. And then in the ensuing months after school, through summer school projects and things like that, they were able to get that down even further. But, you know, at a school that size, the gist of it being like, you don't, you don't want that many kids slipping through the cracks. Now, on the flip side, when you're graduating class that small, right. it doesn't take a lot to really skew your numbers. Well, that's what I was going to say, because five doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're graduating classes less than 100, then it becomes a much bigger percent. Yeah. And then what, what Celeste dug into is, at the same time, she was working on some articles about the United Way Stride program, um, which maybe, Celeste, you can, you can fill us in on what that is, but that also plays into the attendance issues and the, the mental health issues that administrators told us that they're encountering more and more with, with young students. Right. I talked to um, Tim Mulrain, who was the um, assistant principal and dean of students at Gibraltar, um, and we pretty much just had a conversation about the mental health of students, and he's seeing that as being a really big factor in why kids are missing so much school these days. And Gibraltar's not the only school that's having issues with that. I mean, I also talked to the high school counselor at Sturgeon Bay. In both of those conversations, we talked about Stride, which is it's a program that brings mental health providers into Door County schools um, so that kids can get counseling during the day while they're at school. So they'll have a meeting once a week or, you know, once a month, depending on the student. But these are licensed therapists that come to make it easier for kids that would otherwise have to miss a bunch of school to travel to these doctor's appointments in Sturgeon Bay or probably even as far as Green Bay. I mean, there aren't a lot of mental health providers up here in the first place, which has made it so hard for students to access those tools in the first place. Is this different than a school counselor? Um, Yes, I think... I mean, what people think of as school counselors is they help you with graduation materials, um, help prep with ACT, that, like that kind of stuff. They, they help you think about your career choices. But these are therapists that you would otherwise see for like specifically mental health guidance. So, yeah, very different than your, you know, your standard counselor. Yeah, these are people licensed and trained specifically to deal with, in many cases, like s- severe trauma that someone's dealing with or a suicidal individual. And, you know, as we talk about this, I, I want to be careful that like, mental health doesn't mean like we use it as a blanket term, but not everybody with a mental health issue is suicidal and not everyone with a mental health issue is missing tons of school. So right. It's a huge it's, spectrum yeah. of stuff. Um, and so I, I want to be really careful, but there's no, there's no really easy way to talk about this in 10 minutes. Right. But, you know, that stride program is really interesting because I, I know from going to school at Gibraltar growing up, a dental appointment would take you out a half a day. If you had to go to Sturgeon Bay, I had braces growing up. I had to go to the orthodontist all the time. And I had a metal mouth for about five years. And then I promptly knocked them all out playing broom ball and got, got the braces back. But in any case, there's a long way of getting to the point of you go down to Sturgeon Bay from Gibraltar and you're talking about a 40-minute drive. And then you have an hour appointment maybe, maybe longer, and then a 40-minute drive back. And so you've already missed half your school day. And now if you're talking about an appointment with a, a therapist or something like that, and they're in such short supply that they're often in Green Bay or sometimes further away. So if you're at Gibraltar, you're really easily missing some time if you just have a regular appointment. So bringing them into the school, A, it makes that kid not feel like it's not so obvious that you're taking this time out to go see your therapist, which helps the kid deal with everything. But it's also just right there in the school and you can go and talk in weekly and, and pull some time aside and get an hour in and then go right back to class 
Um, so just from an attendance standpoint, it does help in, in that aspect. But it also helps alleviate the mental health problems that's leading to the truancy in the first place. Right. Well, and it's so interesting that in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, even since I was in school, uh, in high school and middle school, that the we have started to look at these things differently and that the truancy is not the problem. It is a symptom of a larger problem. And helping students cope with those larger problems or work their way through them is a way to alleviate the the symptoms like truancy and and so it's really cool that uh, Gibraltar is in, investing in that idea definitely yeah you know another thing with stride a lot of that funding comes from from the united way of door county helping kick that off and push for that program in all of the door county schools uh this last weekend i golfed in the little eddie big cup which was it's in memory of an old friend of mine eddie streg who um had killed himself in 2014 and that tournament raises money for mental health issues in Door County, and that helps support the Stride program. So that golf tournament has given $25,000 over the last two years to help support the Stride program and get those counselors into schools. So it's, it's not just that the schools are aware of it and that these counselors, but the, the larger community has become a little more aware of it and, and seeing this as a real problem to grapple with. Yeah, that's been really fun to talk to people about. I mean, during our interviews, we would just kind of speculate about whether or not our mental health issues is just more prevalent in today or are we just talking about it more? So, I mean, that was really fun to just like have those discussions with the people that I talked with. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you bring that up, too. And I, I really do think that it is that we are just more open about the discussion of it and we're more equipped to to discuss it with our peers and with people to to help things happen, because like. If, if this was happening in my middle school or my high school, uh, those would just be bad kids. And you'd have to, like, yeah. you know, get in touch with the parents and like, hey, why, why isn't your kid coming to school? Make them come to school rather than any sort of investigation into the, the wider reasons for truancy. Right. And, and that's it, the thing. Um, a lot of the kids that probably have these mental health issues are coming from like troubled backgrounds, which that's just, you know, how how their life is. It's not a fault of theirs. And so hopefully these therapists are giving them tools to deal with what they're dealing with at home, which transfers into the classroom. The, with attendance in, at Gibraltar, though, what the administrators that we talked to told us, it's not just a mental health issue. That's a part of it. It's part of that mental health issue is driven by the stress and anxiety that kids feel now. Like the, the standards are just higher. Like we've been preaching for so long. Everyone's got to go to college. Every moment matters. You've got to pass this test or you're not going to get into college or you're not going to achieve this. And you have to have it all figured out by 18 or, you know, you're going to ruin your life by what your grades were as a freshman in high school. And you've got to be involved in all of these extracurriculars. And there's that kind of keeping up with the Joneses thing, too. And the, the kids are feeling that. I mean, kids now get homework in second or third grade. I don't think I took homework home until like middle school. Those pressures are coming to the fore. And then you have at a school like Gibraltar. Those same transportation issues that come into play when you are going to a therapist appointment come into play when you sign up for extracurriculars. If you have a solo ensemble um, competition, it's probably going to be a couple hours away. If you have a baseball game and you're on the road, some of those games are two, three hours away. And if you are in, are playing three sports, as Dr. Seifer said, like you're going to miss more than 10 days of school just by the excused absences of having to leave at 1230, 1 o'clock for a lot of these competitions. And then you have parents who he said roughly 25% of the, the parents now at a, a school like Gibraltar will routinely take kids out for longer longer weekends or longer vacations. You know, instead of a one-week spring break vacation, they go for two. And 
that has ramifications in another way because not only does that kid miss class, but then the teachers are expected to prepare homework for that student. And so those students don't struggle, but what it does is that that teacher is now spending an extra hour that week prepping the homework for the student who's already doing well and has all the resources at home because they have the resources to take a two-week vacation. And that time is not going to the kid who's struggling. Right. Um, the kid who doesn't get the vacation doesn't get the extra homework prep and, and the extra reteaching of the lesson that the kid who's gone does. So that's the, it starts to take a toll on the teaching staff. Yeah, well, and that's a, that's a good point, too. It's not just that uh, students, are being, uh, students are being affected in this way themselves when they're being taken out of school, but their fellow students are also being affected. So like in my work with the theater program, spring break hits right in the middle of rehearsals for the musical. And if, if you're a student who is going on an additional week vacation, now you have uh, a week of rehearsal that you're missing and all of your castmates are, are missing you on stage and, and you're holding their experience up as well. So it's like, it, it's a really interesting situation. And it's also, you know, worth examining the, the, the way that the, the staff looks at it. And it's like, well, there's nothing that we can do. You know what I mean? It's like, well, there people go on vacations up here for longer. So that's just the way that it is. And it's like, well, I mean, I mean, when do you, when do you start to take a look at that as well? And, and that is something that's definitely changed, um, in the 20 years since I graduated, I, I, I can't think of any off, one off the top of my head who took like extremely long vacations and missed a lot, bunch of time in, in my days. But apparently that's much more common. And from my coaching days, same thing you just saw. Like I, I had to grapple with that a lot more when I was coaching high school basketball. Then that was never a factor before that. Right. Uh, any other takeaways here before we wrap up this episode? Um, the one thing I would say is we, this, for this issue, we talked specifically about Gibraltar. And Celeste did a lot of work specific to Gibraltar, but also talked to other schools. And it's not just it's not just the Door County thing necessarily. Is it statewide attendance is an issue, and countywide it's an issue. Not on Washington Island. They they don't have the chronic truancy rate because where are those kids going to go and hide? Right. But, yeah. You can just walk outside and grab them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and and what else are they going to do? Sorry, Islanders. Um, but you know, well, Sturgeon Bay. and I have found that most Islanders, if they don't have anything to do, they'll just sit out on their porch and play music and then become yep. <laughs> musicians. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, Sturgeon Bay is grappling with it. Southern Door to, to a lesser extent, Sevastopol to a lesser extent. But like Gibraltar's is just at a at a greater extent right now. And and they, I, I should say this: we've talked a lot about the problem, and we talked about the stride intervention. There is a the policy committee at Gibraltar did identify attendance as like the number one issue to grapple with. So there, in our initial conversations with administration and school board, they kind of tried to downplay whether attendance was that big of an issue, and then. It seems like that tide has turned and this committee is looking at different um, intervention techniques and different ways of talking to parents and students to try and, and get them um, to just either take it seriously or find other ways to teach them through, I think you talked about some of this like, kind of like remote learning that they're they're trying to put in place for right. people who can't maybe operate within the functions of the school. Yeah, like online stuff or like Skyping into class if you need to do that, modified school days, um, yeah, stuff like that, more yeah. mobile. Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see, you know, as we continue to talk about internet in Door County too. Uh, every time that we talk about it, it's not just about Netflix and Facebook, it's about providing for our children giving them the experiences that they need to stay competitive uh, and to succeed. I was so. at an Egg Harbor Business Association mixer last night sitting next to uh, a couple of young parents who were talking, just went on and on about the problems with um, internet connectivity here, both cell phone reception and just 
Wi-Fi and how their kids are coming home. And they, they need to have this to function in school today, even younger children. So there's the parents are grappling with it, too. Well, thank you both so much for uh, opening my eyes to this issue, definitely. It's really, it's an interesting thing, and I, I was really happy to hear about the Stride program and, and about how uh, we're, we're putting students first and helping them grapple with, with bigger issues rather than just bringing down the hammer of punishment on truancy and stuff like that. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with me this week, and uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.